Amen. It's through the blood. Amen. Can't discount that. That's for sure. Can't diminish that. It's through the blood. Psalm chapter 61. If you have your Bible, Psalm chapter 61 today. Psalm chapter 61. You might want to do yourself a favor if you haven't done it already. If you got one of these watches like I got now, these iPhone things or whatever, put it on the moon. If you click on that moon, you won't have to worry about being disturbed. And I know you don't want to be disturbed in the next hour, 40 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is. I know you don't. So I wanted to give you a hint there how that works. <clears throat> All right. Psalm chapter 61. Psalm chapter 61 today. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's eight verses. So anyway, we should be all right. (laughs) Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve me. So will I sing praise unto thy name forevermore that I may daily perform my vows. What an amazing passage. Again, the psalmist is David here in this particular case. And we know that the psalms are a tremendous source of encouragement for us. Well, we go through life and, of course, we are destined and without a doubt going to face so many difficulties and so many trials in our life. If you somehow believe you're going to be exempt from that, you're going to miss out on all of that, you're wrong. And the reality is is that although some may suffer more than others, although others may go through circumstances and situations that seem to be, I guess, more difficult than others, the fact is every last one of us in this room will go through those trials and tribulations at some point in our life, some kind, somehow, some way. The psalmist was no different, of course. We know that for a fact. We'd read through the life of David. We know that he faced a number of obstacles in his, his day, a number of things that stood in his pathway, things that tried to hinder him and hamper him from accomplishing not only the will of God, but just the desire for God in his life. I want to focus, however, on that last verse. In chapter 61, verse 8, we read, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Notice again, I will sing praise unto thy name. He's going to sing praise unto the name of the Lord. Why? That I may daily perform my vows. He has a responsibility. He has an obligation to God. And he says, listen, I'm going to praise you so that I can perform my obligation, my responsibilities, my vows. So what we guess we could say is this, without praise, we will not perform. Notice he said again, I'll praise thy name forevermore that I may daily perform my vows. We'll not perform if we are without praise in our life. Not only that, we will not persist. He says again, he says daily perform my vows. That's something that needs to be ongoing, consistent. 
He says if we will fail to praise the Lord today, we're going to have a very difficult time performing, a very difficult time uh, persisting. But not only that, if we fail to perform and to persist in the work of God and the will of God in our life, let me tell you, it is without doubt we will not produce. Will not produce. They say, now listen, Lord, I, I, I'm going to sing praise unto thy name forevermore that I may daily perform my vows. I want to perform. I want to persist. And I want to produce on your behalf, Lord Jesus. And if we are not praising God, if we cannot praise the Lord, then we will not fulfill those three elements. There is no way that you can go through your Christian life without praise for God and think somehow you're going to continue to consistently perform and to obey and to live the Christian life. There's no way in the world without praise of the Lord God that saved your soul and that ultimately come to indwell you and live in your life and guarantee you a home in heaven. If you can't praise Him, you will not persist. You will not continue. You will quit on God. At some point, if you can't praise Him, and if you can't continue to perform consistently, you will never truly produce. And one day you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ with nothing to present to the Lord Jesus. The psalmist says, I'll sing praise unto thy name forevermore, that I may daily perform my vows. As believers, again, we are destined to endure hardship. There's no doubt at some point in our life we will. And if we fail to praise, we will be discouraged and we will ultimately be defeated. Throughout the Word of God, we find men and women who, in the worst of times, found it possible to praise God. See, the idea that we have as human beings is if God blesses me as I choose. If God provides me with the things I Demand. If God gives me and shares with me and permits me to enjoy the things that I believe are blessings, then I will praise Him. But praise is not conditional. Praise is something that we are demanded to do. And praise is something that if we don't do it, we will not perform and we will not persist and we will never produce. But you don't understand what I've endured. I don't care if you can't praise God. I promise you, pretty soon, you won't be here. I, I promise you, you won't be reading the Word of God much longer. I won't, you won't be praying and seeking the face of a God who you cannot think is good and cannot bless and is not able to be praised. It's impossible. So how did these in the Bible... These men and women who in the worst of times in their lives, how did they find it possible to praise God? Well, I want to share or note just three of those people in the Bible. And then I want to just make a couple simple statements. And then that's, that's the message today. So let's go ahead and note three of those people in the Bible that in the worst of times or the most difficult times, it seems, they were still able to praise God. And I think we're going to find basically... I'm going to share with you how that was possible. And then we'll just see if God can't help us today to do the same. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. And thank you for this psalmist. And we thank you for the word of God. And we thank you for your spirit who illuminates our lives and enables us to understand your word. We cry out to you today and ask, Lord, that you drive home your truths. Help us to be a men, a people, I should say, men and women that are a, a people of praise. 
May our lips always lift up your name. May our lives continually reflect you. Father, be glorified now in this service. And Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ who have yet to receive and accept him, may they truly trust, believe, receive him today as their own Savior. Father, we need you. We praise you. And we ask for your help today. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, I want to think about or focus on the psalmist himself, David. Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 30. 1 Samuel, chapter 30. First Samuel, chapter 30. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 here in just a moment. Well, we'll read now. Let's just do that. 1 Samuel, chapter 30. The Bible says there in chapter 30, verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives and that, uh, where, that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. While David and his men are away to battle, or preparing at least to go to battle. Interestingly enough, they were prepared prepared to go to battle against their own people. It's an unusual situation and we don't have time to discuss it. But nonetheless, they were prepared to go to battle alongside of the Philistines. Their wives, their children are taken captive as the Amalekites come and invade the city Ziglag. Upon returning to Ziglag, the men are so distraught so worried, so bitter toward what was t- has taken place that they look at David and they say, we've got a scapegoat. This old guy led us down the wrong path. He took us the wrong direction. And as a result of that, we weren't here to protect our family. The bottom line is, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill David because we lost our sons and we've lost our daughters and our wives have been taken captive. Our hearts are so broken. And may I say, let me tell you something now. Never make major decisions in the heat of emotion. You'd be very careful. My goodness, these men were ready to kill their leader, the very one who had delivered them, the very one who had taken them in when they were at the least of of all men. And he was there for them when they needed him most, and their families even. And now here they are ready to kill David because their hearts are broken. So here they are now, David in this horrible situation. And in the midst of this valley event in the life of David, we note his response. The Bible tells us in verse 6 that he encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't know about you, but i got to believe if he was able to encourage himself in the Lord, there were reasons why 
he could be encouraged in the midst of this difficulty while in the presence of God. And I got to believe that if God was the kind of God that could encourage him in the midst of this time, he was a God that David surely in the midst of this time praised him. Now, I want to share with you four thoughts real quick, very quickly about David real quick. I think, listen, let me tell you why I believe he was able to praise God or be encouraged of the Lord in the midst of this hurt, this heartache. I believe it involves four elements. And we're going to see, and I believe it's involved in every single person, everybody's life that can praise God in the difficult times, everybody's life that can lift up Jesus and proclaim his goodness in the midst of a hurt, a heartache, has to believe these four things. And I believe David believed these, and as a result, he could be encouraged and praise God in the midst of this difficult time. Number one, the promises of God. That's, the ele- that's one of the elements. The promises of God. Let me tell you something. I believe with all my heart David knew the promises of God. I believe David knew the word of God well enough to know what God had already promised him. I mean, there was David on the backside of the, the desert, so to speak, with those sheep. And God had put something on his heart. God had done a miracle in his life. He arrives there at the battle of Elah there only to find himself before a giant. I want you to know that God had put a vision. God had put something big on the heart of David. He knew the, 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 the very promises of God. He knew what God's word said in that Old Testament. He knew who God was based on the word of God. The promises of God. But not only that, I see that I believe one of the other elements was the power of God. Because he knew who God was, he also understood how powerful the God he served was. Now listen, when you come back to your city, or you come back to your home, and your wives and your children have been taken captive by strange men, let me tell you something, I can't even imagine what went through the mind of David. But may I say one thing that went through his mind was the very, very fact that God has promised him some things, that the God in heaven was a God of promise, and that the God of heaven was a God of power. I'll tell you, he didn't let that elude him, and he didn't let that flee from him. He kept that strong in his mind, and in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the difficult time, he said, listen, I know there's some promises God's given me, and I know he's powerful enough to keep those promises. Not only that, but that other element, I believe, was the past. David had the past. You say, oh, really? Yeah, God's work in his life to that date, that time in his life. I mean, he could look at God and say, listen, I remember being a young boy, and I remember standing against a giant, or I remember being in a field, and then there came a bear and a lion, and God gave me the victory, and God enabled me to overcome, and God certainly delivered me in the midst of all my enemies. And from that time on, God has elevated me, and God has magnified me, and God has lifted me up in the eyes of the people. Oh, God is able. God did it in the past. God could do it again. I believe that's what David saw that day. When everybody else could only feel the hurt, when everybody else could only see the difficulty that stood before them, David saw an opportunity. And he said, listen, I believe God is a God of promises. And I know God's a God of power. And I believe He's a God of my past. And as a result of that, I believe there's potential here. Man, Because God has His promises, and I believe every one of them. And because I know God is powerful enough to keep His promise, and because I've seen what God has done in my past, I know there's great potential today. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And I believe he could praise God in the midst of that difficult time because he believed these four elements and was aware of these four elements right here. You want to know why it's easy to turn our back on God in the midst of difficult times? Because we forget one of those. 
we fail to remember them. We forget that God has given us some promises. And we forget that God is powerful enough to keep those promises. Or we forget of what He's done for us in our past already to prove Himself faithful to us. And we forget that God is a God of, that provides us with tremendous potential to overcome all obstacles in our life. See, David was versed on the promises of God. He knew them very well. He understood God to be powerful enough to keep His promises. He had witnessed God's power in the past. It didn't matter whether it was a lion, the bear, or Goliath. He had evidence that there was a God in heaven that was worthy of His praise. David, the psalmist. Take your Bible and turn over the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16. While ministering in Thyatira, Paul cast a demon out of a young woman who worked as a soothsayer, the Bible calls her. Soothsayers did their best to predict or tell the future. Of course, that's something the God abhors. He identifies it as an abomination, by the way. He said, don't ever get your palm read. Don't ever go to somebody that looks in a crystal ball to tell you what the future holds for you. To be frank with you, I don't even look at those stupid Chinese things inside those things to see what they tell me is going to happen next. I, I, I don't, those cookies or whatever. I mean, come on, tell me that something good comes out of those cookies. Honestly, have you ever tasted those cookies? They're so bland, so dry, so... Oh. I mean, who could... I mean, you can't even enjoy them, let alone get your future out of them. I, I just... These soothsayers in that day, they, they, they were, they, they were uh, doing their best to predict or tell the future. But then the demon that was in this woman, and by the way, that is all demonic. It's all demonic. Did you hear me? It's demonic. That demon. Wait a second. There's no such thing as white witchcraft, by the way. It's either witchcraft or it's, or it's not. There's no, well, good witches and bad. There's no such thing as a good witch. Can I just tell you that? No such thing. No good witches. Witches are are operating on another power other than God. That's not good. That's an abomination in the Word of God. Sorry, I just thought I'd share that with you. Because I'm going to tell you something. The church is being lulled into a sense of acceptance to all kinds of things that are anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-Bible. Be very careful you don't fall privy to it. And by the way, I wouldn't let my children watch shows where there are good witches in them. Because they'll grow up to believe that there are good witches. I just thought I'd throw that in. I know you enjoyed that. So once this demon was cast out of this young woman, she was done with her profession. She was of no value any longer to her bosses, to those that employed her. As a matter of fact, Paul and Silas were put on the hit list. I mean, the potential profits of this, this company fell into the toilet. They had nothing to look forward to. Now, this, their, their, their finances were affected dramatically now, these owners. And as a result, the Bible tells us that they, they caught Paul and Silas. They took them to the city leaders, accusing them of being troublemakers. Does that sound familiar? If you've ever read the Bible or if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs or any time in history where Christians have been uh, burned at the stake or persecuted for their faith, they're always labeled as troublemakers. So there, before it's all said and done, they're beaten. They're cast into prison. Their feet are fast in the stocks. Look at verses 18 through 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, 
and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them. That sounds like a bad day to me. That sounds like a difficult time. You know, I wasn't that long ago my car didn't start. That was a bad day for me. But it had nothing, it was not even in comparison to what they experienced. Matter of fact, I wasn't even witnessing at the time. These men are doing the work of God, the will of God. These men are doing their very best to proclaim the truth that Jesus died on Calvary, was buried, and rose again the third day. And all they get for their trouble, all they get for their faithfulness, all they get for their obedience is a beating. Bad day, at least in the eyes of most. Notice he goes on, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, verse 23, they cast them into prison. Oh, it just gets better. Charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. Oh, we have to, these troublemakers here are really bad. We've got to make sure they're never getting out. Put them in the midst, the very center. Make sure they can't possibly escape. And he goes on to say, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Oh, wow. See, once again, we're not talking about the stock market here. We're talking about those things that lock your feet in place. Those things that don't permit you to move around. Those things that don't let you use the restroom. Those things that don't permit you to have any comfort at all. Matter of fact, you're just locked in place. Not only have they been preaching and teaching the Word of God, not only have they been obeying the Lord, but now they find themselves beaten. Now they find themselves drug into the innermost depths of the prison. Now they find them feet in stocks. A bad day. And it is in the same setting that we read in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang what? What, what, what they, and sang what? Wait, wait, wait a second. This cannot be true. I don't know about you, but the, the, the likelihood of me praising God at that point would probably be pretty small on the scale of one to ten. The fact is, is that in the midst of the, a bloody, beaten pulp that I would be, pain and suffering at that very moment, uncomfortable because of the stocks, the fact is I've been cast into prison, and all I've been doing is serving Jesus like I've been called to do. Do you know how tempted I would be to say, what's wrong, God? What are you doing, God? Where are you at, God? But not these men. You say, well, I'm sure they thought that. Well, why didn't the Bible tell us? i got to believe that he didn't want us to see that side because that's not what happened. He wanted us to understand they're, hey, wait, they're the standard, not us. That this is how we should respond in the midst of pain, suffering, heartache, difficulties. Oh, you say that's unrealistic. That's ridiculous, preacher. God would never expect us not to have hurts. Oh, I guarantee you they were hurting. I guarantee you they were in tremendous pain. I guarantee you that they may even have been wondering what in the world is going on here. But they were not questioning God. They were praising him in song. Lifting up what they had left, what was available to them. Oh, they couldn't witness maybe to the others because the others were not close. I, I don't know if they witnessed. They may have yelled out the name of Jesus. I don't know, but they were singing praises. They were lifting him up. Praise him, praise him. Tell of his excellent greatness. And the, the other guys, what in the world's going on over there? There is nothing to praise God in this prison for, they thought to themselves, I'm sure. But these men thought there was. Believed there was, were assured there was. They praised the Lord in the midst of their tribulation. How could they do that? How could they do that? 
I believe they knew the promises of God. I believe that. I believe they were confident in the power of God. I believe that without a doubt, we know from the word of God that they had experienced the power and the presence of God in their past. They've seen God at work miraculously in their lives. And they were aware of the great potential that existed. Oh boy, I'll tell you, we may be laying in this, this, this God-forsaken prison, so to speak. We may have been beaten to a pulp. We may not have uh, the use of an arm or a limb. We may be in a position where our feet are bound in stocks and chains. We may be in a place where we may end up dying. But we know one thing. we got a God that's filled with promises. And He's powerful enough to keep those promises. And I mean to tell you today, that God has been there for me in the past. And I know, I know, I know He has the potential to deliver me today if he chooses. That's what was going through their minds. And they're going, God, you're so good. Oh, God, if you chose, you could deliver us right now. We know that. We don't know why we're here. We don't have all the answers, but we know you do. We're just going to praise you anyway. Because, Lord, if we don't praise you, we'll not perform. If we don't praise you, we'll not persist. If we don't praise you, we will not produce. And God, that is not acceptable. Oh God, you're worthy of our praise no matter where we sit, no matter where we lay, no matter what our circumstances are. Didn't say it was easy. But we know how it all turned out. Chapter 16, verse 30. We know that as we arrive upon that verse, God had caused an earthquake to shake the prison and the doors had been opened. They're in the inner prison, remember? They're in the deepest recesses of the prison. They're in the most, most confined portion of the prison, the most secure area of the prison. And yet all the doors are now unlocked because of this earthquake that God sent. The prisoners were free now. And yet in, miraculously... Uncharacteristically, none of them fled. Isn't that amazing? Not one of the prisoners fled. They're like hanging out. Wow. Did you see what just happened? It's amazing. Man, this has got to be God. I don't know if they were thinking that. I don't know if they thought, man, I just feel God's presence. I can't even cause, I can't even think about leaving this place. When's the last time you've ever been in the presence of the Lord and you thought, I don't want to get off my knees. I don't want to get out of this room. I don't want to leave this church. I don't want to leave that altar. I don't want to leave this place. God is here. I dare say it's probably not as much as it ought to be in all of our lives. But the jailer supposed that they were all gone. <laughs> He's ready to take his own life. And Paul assures him that everyone's accounted for. And then we read in verse 30, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Before it's over with, this jailer is not only saved, but his wife is saved, and his children are saved, and his family is saved, and there they have the prisoners in their own house feeding them. Oh, man, this is crazy stuff, folks. 
But you want to know something? You know what that is? That's called potential. And we see God brought that potential to pass. And that is why Paul, that is why the disciples could praise God. Because they, in their heart of hearts, knew the promises of God. They knew the power of God. They had a past where God had worked His power. And they recognized the potential. And as a result, they could just continue to praise. Finally, I want you to look, if you would. To Acts chapter 5. After being brought before the council, Peter and the disciples with him were asked by the high priest, quote, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? Isn't that something? They, the council. We're talking about the Jewish council. We're talking about religious leaders. They said, Did we not, us, the council, command you that ye should not teach in his name? So once again, all these men are doing is sharing the truth of the Word of God with their friends, their family, and their community. These men had filled Jerusalem, the Bible tells us. Filled it with their doctrine. And that doctrine had brought great conviction on the hearts of even the council. Because as they preached and proclaimed Jesus Christ, they also had to recognize Him for who He was. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the promised Messiah. And as a result of that, when they spoke about him, it dug at the heart of these leaders because it was really saying, you killed God. (laughs) They didn't like it. They weren't real happy with it. Peter makes it clear that their greatest loyalty is to God. And he continues by saying, quote, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on the tree. After hearing that message, those leaders, the Bible says, were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Their lives are on the line now. And in the midst of this frenzy, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, shares his counsel. And that's where we pick up the passage in verse 38, chapter 5, verse 38. Gamaliel says, and now I say unto you, to the council, chapter 5, verse 38, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this council or this work be of men, it will come to naught. Now what he was concerned about, I would imagine, is he was afraid of them becoming martyrs. And ultimately, you know, causing others to join the cause, causing others to rebel against the authority here. And so they thought, he said, listen, it's in our best interest to, to just let them go. Do not kill them. Do not, do not murder them because they'll become, you know, they'll be martyrs for the cause. And it'll only help to encourage and, and increase enlistment. I've got to believe he was thinking in that direction. He goes this, but if this be of men, it will come to naught. Don't worry about it. But if it be of God, very wise man, by the way, you cannot overthrow it. Thus happily ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Another bad day. They've been taken captive. They've been maligned, mistreated. They've even now been beaten. And now they say, okay, you're free, go. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty bad day. 
And the Bible says in verse 41, And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Wow, when's the last time you took a beating by an unbeliever or anybody and said, you know what? I'm so happy, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. What a blessing this has been. I'm so glad that I could suffer shame for you. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but this is hard to, to imagine. It's hard to wrap my mind around. And the Bible goes on to say, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. These were men that were now praising the Lord. Peter and these other disciples were praising God in spite of the beating, praising God in spite of the mis, misunderstanding, so to speak, in spite of the fact that their, their words had been maligned, in spite of the fact that they had been lied about and, mis, and, and that, that they had been taken for no real reason whatsoever. They're only obeying God. They're only doing the work of God. So how in the world could they do this? How could they continue to praise God? I believe it's because they knew the promises of God. I believe they were confident in the power of God. I believe they had experienced it in the past. And therefore, as a result of that, they were aware of the great potential that existed. And as a result of that, they were able to praise the Lord. And that attitude, that outlook that they possessed and that they shared enabled them to keep going victoriously. Do you know that the Bible tells us they turned the world upside down? But I can guarantee if they couldn't have praised God in the midst of that, they wouldn't be able to perform. They wouldn't have been able to persist. Sooner or later, they'd have grown bitter toward God. Sooner or later, they'd have said, what's the point of serving you? Every time we lift our, up your voice in this city, they just squash us. They just beat us. They just throw us in prison. They just kill us. And they threaten our families. If we're done with you, we're finished with you, God. But they could praise Him in the midst of that trial, those tribulations, because they knew the promises of God. They were confident in the power of God. They'd experienced those promises being fulfilled and the power of God in their life in the past. And they believed if He could do it then, He can do it now. They knew there was great potential. You know that you and I need to be keenly aware of the promises of God today. Do you know how you become keenly aware of the promises of God? Studying the Word of God. Not just reading it but studying, digging. In class, sometimes in the singles class, we'll go through a verse and I'll say, what does that word mean? What does that word mean? What does that word mean? Do you realize that most, almost throughout the Bible, there's a lot of times we really don't know what a word even means, but we read right through the verse and we continue on. The truth is we never really understood what God was even saying all along the way. But it's just too hard to look them up. It takes a little bit of time. It takes some effort. It takes a little bit of determination to actually look up a word, especially if you're going to buy a separate dictionary. You're going to get online and look at an 1828 Webster or something like that that actually defines them often in a biblical capacity or means. It's hard for us sometimes because we're so busy and we're so captivated by the word and we're just so hunkered down in our life and we've just got so much to do, we don't have time to truly know what the Bible teaches and what it says. 
I'm going to encourage you today. The fact is today is that you will not be here very long if you get discouraged. You won't be here very long if you feel defeated. You won't be here very long if you can't praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in every circumstance and in every situation. Sooner or later, you'll become disenchanted with this thing we call Christianity. Disenchanted with its leader, its governor, its master, God in heaven. You'll turn your back on him. You'll turn your back on him. Because the truth is, you don't really know what you need to know about him. We need to know the promises of God. And in knowing those, we'll understand who he is. And we'll know how powerful he is. And then we'll have to remember along the way what he did for us last year. What he did for us ten years ago. What he did for us just even a month ago. We can't ever forget what God has done in our past. And how he delivered us and in, in through a difficult situation just so many months ago. So many years ago. And when we come together with that idea of the promises of God. The power of God. The, the, just the past. Then we know in our heart there's potential now. And you know what you'll be able to do? Praise Him. You'll be able to praise Him. You'll be able to praise Him. When we're confronted with challenges or difficulties in our life, what is our next step? The Bible tells us praise. That's the next step. Not answers. Praise. Not solutions. Praise. Not the encouragement of a friend. Praise. Not the support of a family. Praise. That's the next thing that comes. That's what we need to do next. The rest of those things will come. But we must start by praising Him. And that does not happen if we don't know the promises of God, the power of God. If we can't remember the past and how He has met needs all of our life, we'll never believe there's potential in the midst of this turmoil, this trouble, if we can't see those things first. If the problem is bigger than the power of God in our life, we're done. As we said earlier, we'll not perform will not persist, and we will inevitably not produce for God. And one day, standing before the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat will have nothing to hand to him for all our life's work. Because we could not praise him, a God who is bigger than our problems, and a God who is described and defined in this book as being a God that is able. He's able today. The question is, are we willing to trust Him, to praise Him? Do you know Him as your Savior and your Lord? Has there been a day, a time, a place when you put your faith and trust in Him? When you finally recognized yourself to be a sinner, that you had no worth or value in the sight of a holy God outside of the fact that He just loves you? Do you realize that God doesn't love you because you have something to give Him? He loves you just because. He loved me just because. And boy, he hung on that cross 2,000 years ago 
suffered, bled, and died, was buried, and rose again the third day to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from your sin. Saved from the consequences of sin. Won't you trust Him alone? Don't trust in this church. You're wasting your time. Don't trust in this pastor. You're a fool. Don't trust in a person, a place, or a thing other than Jesus Himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He is it. He is all. He is everything. Won't you trust Him today? If you haven't trusted Him, my friend, you are flirting with hell. Don't take a chance. You may not be promised tomorrow. Settle your salvation today. And as believers, may we Make it our goal in life to know him so well that we can say he is a God of promises. He is a God of power. He has worked in my past, and I know there is tremendous potential. Even though I'm in the midst of darkness, God is able. Father, we come to you.